Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. So many of us have ideas where we want to create a new life for ourselves. We want to do X, Y, and Z. And then a day goes by and another day goes by and another day goes by and we're still in our jobs or we're still uh, doing the same thing we were doing before. And it's not easy, but it is simple. You just have to do the first step. You can call it taking action. You can call it picking up the phone, whatever it is. If you want something bad enough, if you need something bad enough, you will find a way to make it happen. But so often, many of us find ways to not make it happen. And that could be taking our business to the next level if you're already have a successful business. It could be starting that business. It could be getting that first client. So many times we find reasons not to rather than reasons to. And I think today's guest is really going to encapsulate that in a way that others haven't on this show because of what, where he was at the time when he started his business and what he's doing now. And it was all about just making a commitment to himself, making a commitment to his family and taking action on what he wanted to do. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast and the AK Business Accelerator. Appreciate you taking some time to listen today. As always, we are brought to you by uh, powertexting.com and on C-Suite Radio. Appreciate both of their support. Powertexting.com gives away a free trip to one listener of every show. So stay tuned for more information on that. It's pretty cool. Four and five star hotels that um, somebody's going to go and be able to enjoy and get away for a few days. My guest today went down a traditional path. He went to college, got his MBA, went to a really good college actually, um, and got his education and you know, said, you know what, I'm done working for other people. I'm done with this clocking in, clocking out nine to five lifestyle. I need to do something else for me and for my family and started on a path that has really taken him in a great direction at a young age. And so his story is going to be great. Ryan Neris, thanks man for being here. I appreciate it. It's going to be a fun conversation. I am flattered and honored to be here and I am pumped to have an awesome talk. Very cool. Very cool. So you were a, you know, traditional Southern kid. You went to high school. You went to a pretty well-to-do private college in uh, North Carolina, right? It's, it's a big name, especially if you're a basketball fan. Um, right. And you were on your way to probably some cor corporate gig working, you know, for Bank of America or whatever in Charlotte, where you live. What was that like? And why was it that you had this need to do something different? I just felt like I was lied to, uh, point blank. I'm a millennial that got the whole pitch of study hard in school, you'll get into a good school. When you get into a good school and you do well there, you'll get a good job. Then you stay at that job and then you have a good life. It pays well, it's stable, hooray, hurrah. Well, that's not true. <laughs> not only, not only, so, I went to Wake Forest University twice. Love, love the university. Go Tim Duncan, Chris Paul. We, we just my generation has just been force fed this idea of you, you study hard, you work hard, and and life will reward you. And that's just not true. It's not. Not only now. To be fair, I did graduate in two thousand nine. So 
undergrad, which was not a good time. To, like, <laughs> Timing is everything. <laughs> but I graduated from my MBA in 2016, and the economy was great. And I applied to, gosh, it must have been something like 50 jobs. And I had, I think, l less than five full-time offers. So, I mean, you're talking 10% or less of actual offers. And the job I wound up selecting, I, I really felt pretty stuck in pretty quick because I didn't want to get promoted because it just meant uh, more stress, less meaning and purpose in my life, and, for not that, and more hours for not that much more pay. So I didn't want to go up. And then going out, it's like at least the MBA gives you this illusion that you can pivot in your career. So I just, I was sick of it and I didn't have any money and I didn't have any experience and I had no network and I went, I don't care. I'm going to figure out a way to do this. And if I might, before you ask the first question, throw in one of my favorite quotes from, yeah, a, rapper, from a rapper who's, who calls himself a little dicky and he has a, a rap song with Snoop Dogg. It's an amazing rap song where Snoop Dogg is the guy interviewing him. He's like the boss and, and little Dickie's applying for a job. And his sales pitch includes this one line where he goes, I'm not one of those kids on the block with nothing to lose. I must have wanted this a lot because I had something to choose. And I think that's really, really important because as they say, the cliche, burn the ships, right? Yep. You have to have your back against the wall to really feel that fire up against you. Well, the gift and the curse of having an MBA or even just an undergrad from any school, you know, Wake Forest, Ivy or community college or anything and above is you do have access to good jobs, comfortable jobs, cushy jobs. And you do get this illusion of safety and comfort that you'll always be able to find something. And that is a gift and a curse because, oh, does it make it easy to not chase your dreams. So I like to say that, you know, if I had nothing to lose naturally because of where I came from and, and where I grew up, I, I didn't have that. I had something to choose, like little Dickie said, which made it harder. So I had to find my own way to burn the ship, so to speak. It's really interesting you say that because so many of us find ourselves in, in that world. You know, if we know that we have this burning desire or a simmering desire, I guess, to start our own business or to take our business to the next level. But if you're running a business and you're doing a couple hundred thousand in revenue, it's really easy just to stay there. Or if you've got a job and you can go every day, it's really easy to stay there and not choose to do something different. For you, did you, um, did you start on this path um, in your own business and, and, and um, Ryan does, does real estate and we'll talk more about that in a second, but did you start on that path while you had a job or did you quit that job and say, I'm out of here. I'm going to go make this work. Chicken and oh, egg, what I came just, first? It, it took years. So truth be told, I, I got to credit Tim Ferriss for our work week for making me realize I was meant to be an entrepreneur. My dad's a college professor. He's very risk averse. And my mom was a saleswoman. So I was pretty much a, I'm going to be a salesperson for my career. And then I would like to teach because I've got both that running through my, my veins. But yep. I, I read for work week, Tim Ferriss, and I realized it, money divided by time is the most important statistic, so to speak. If you make a hundred grand, but you have 
no life and you live in New York City on top of that, you're middle class to lower middle class for living in Manhattan, right? Versus if you're making only $30,000 a year, but you're working 20 hours a week in the middle of nowhere, third world country where you can live like a prince. That's the kind of juxtaposition that Tim Ferriss for our work week forces you to look at and then excuse bust. And so that was around 2012, but that's not even really fair because I had started building skills and reading books and I, I was, so I graduated in 2009 from Wake Forest Psychology Statistics, knowing I, knowing I wanted to be a salesperson, could not find a sales job because no one was hiring people without experience. So I went, I'm going to go sell cars because my old karate instructor was a car salesman, uh, manager at a car dealership. And so I was like, I, I'm not going to sit in my mom's basement. I'm going to go do something, right? And so I did really well until I hated it. And then I felt stuck because what am I going to do? I'm going to get promoted and go to the F&I office and then hate it even more, and then get promoted again and be a sales manager and then be stuck there forever. So I realized at the car dealership, I don't wanna be the general manager. I wanna be the guy with his name on the building. Because that guy shows up when you win an award and when you have a banquet. <laughs> He's not the guy getting blasted by someone who it doesn't matter what you say, you're a scummy car salesman, right? So that's, you know, that was my, that quickly, I realized that was gonna be my dream. And then I realized I have no idea how to do it. If you were to ask me in 2012, how many millionaires I could call, text, or email and get a warm response from within 12 hours that does not include family, I would confidently tell you the answer to that is zero. <laughs> that number is mind-blowingly different now. One of my best friends is, is very, very wealthy. I have a treasure trove of other folks that have a, a very high net worth that they'll call me out of the blue just to chat, which is amazing. And the, the thing that I ultimately want to drive down here is that I don't think it would be fair to go, Ryan, you started your business in July of 2015. It's now August of 2019. That's four years in a month. You've been full-time for two years and change. So, oh, I found my business. Then it took a year to prove the concept. Then it took a year to prepare to go full-time. Now I'm full-time. Now I'm two years into it. I don't think that's fair. Because I really started in 2012 knowing what my journey was supposed to be, just not knowing what medium I was going to choose. But then that's not even fair because I did get educated at the car dealership and at my undergrad and through my whole experience just reading everything I could and talking to everyone I could. So it's, it's everything. And, and I think the question you're ultimately wanting to ask there is, does it make sense to just quit your job out of the blue and chase something? No. My, I try to tell everyone who wants to do what I did and achieve time freedom, step one, prove the concept. Prove that it's making money. Once you can unequivocally say the number one thing holding me back from just exploding, my number one limiting factor is time and my number one time suck is my job, that's the time to say it's time to make a big bet on myself. Because if you if the MBA or or you know your your hard work and your career has meant anything, you should be able to get a job if you take a twelve month hiatus doing something else. So when you're eighty, looking back on your life, what what would you rather say when you were thirty two like me? That wow, you know what? I'd made a big bet on myself and I failed, but I had the courage. Or hey, I'm glad I stuck with my job because that was the right thing to do. I think we can all agree not only for yourself when you're plus or minus 80, but also for your kids. I, was, I had a great conversation with this guy yesterday who is 50 years old. He's got three great kids 
And he, he heard my, an interview I did on another podcast and he said, you inspired me. And I said, I don't care if you're 20 or 50 or whatever age, if you want this, go and get it. Because if not for you, I told him, I was like, you got three great kids. What are they going to think if you go bankrupt? They're not, they're not going to think, oh, wow, my dad's a loser. They're going to think, well, first and foremost, I have time with them, which is important, right? Because you, you freed yourself from corporate America. But also they're going to go, you know what? I'm proud of my dad. I'm proud of my mom. I'm proud that my relative took a big bet on themselves. And even though they failed, they had that courage. And, and I can't think of, of many better lessons to teach your kids. So if not for you, do it for your kids. It's an interesting perspective because um, you can't, while starting a business, you can't go into it thinking, all right, what if this fails, right? Because that, that's what holds so many people back. But at the same time, you have to be thoughtful about it because there are so many roadblocks that are going to come in your way. There are so many landmines that you're going to step on. And, and you started this business while you were still in school getting your MBA. Yep. So you, you had sort of two sides of your brain. One was like, oh, let me continue to do this corporate thing only better because I'll have my MBA. The other is, oh, this will teach me good stuff that I need to know when I'm chasing my exactly. dream and running my business. And... Um, and you started the business um, investing in mobile homes. And, and, and like I've said before, it doesn't matter what your business is. Um, you know, the, the rules of business are the same. But you started investing in mobile homes and specifically mobile home parks, which are big investments, lots of capital, great cash flow once you have them. Uh, but you got to find the capital. But you said you had no network. You had no experience in doing this why mobile homes and what did you learn in that first year while you were still in school that told you, yes, this is, this is what I need to keep going after. So that's, that's an interesting question. And I'm going to give you a, a response. You probably wouldn't, wouldn't, the listener probably won't expect. I actually thought mobile home parks was something totally different than it was. So mobile home parks right now is subjected to uh, a handful of quote unquote thought leaders who are perpetuating the same hype story that they're passive investments, coupon clippers, you have a captive audience, they own their own home, it's expensive to move. So, you know, if you can't come up with 200 bucks, 300 bucks to pay your lot rent, you're not going to move your home, right? And affordable housing is, is high in demand. So the, and then and there's just mom and pops everywhere looking to sell to you. Well, it turns out not only is that not the case, but also these things are anything but coupon members. They are really, in some cases, really intense operational real estate holdings. So first and foremost, my first year was I was so hell bent on trying to be competitive buying deals. I mean, I we we started in July of 2015. We closed on our first deal in September of 16. So it took 14 months to actually buy our first one. And then that was not fair because I had no money to invest in it. So what I had to do for my first deal was I partnered up with one of the, the thought leaders in the industry and he was, he did everything he said he was going to do. He gave me a, a great finder's fee. We cashed the bulk of it out, kept a little bit in so we could learn from them and, and develop cloud and confidence. And then we bought our second one a few months later, but it wasn't until we bought our third one. And so here's how I kind of went full time. I realized that 
I needed to go full time. And once I realized that my first two deals were lucrative and, and everything was going to be fine, by the time I got my third one, I realized I could pay myself this, the salary to be the physical property manager and quit my job. And then I could start calling brokers more and calling owners more and doing a lot more direct outreach and networking. And I got to tell you, my business exploded as soon as I quit and went full time. But here's the thing. I made a major sacrifice. I literally lived in a mobile home for 14 months every other week in Atlanta. And like you mentioned earlier, I live in Charlotte. So my wife hated it, obviously, because I was gone all the time. And I took a massive haircut on my salary. I went from nearly 100 grand a year to 35 without health insurance. So, I mean, I took a major cut in salary. And I, and by the way, I still pay myself only 35,000 a year. Now my balance sheet is totally a different story, but I only cash flow on purpose 35, you know, I could do a whole lot more reason being is number one, I want capital to reinvest. But number two, I always want to feel that fire that I cannot quit because even, you know, it's just easy when you see that money hit the bank account, it's easy to kind of get lackadaisical and lethargic about what you're doing. And the thing is that threat of going back to corporate America isn't as strong as only seeing a little bit of money hit my main bank account. So that's uh yeah, that's a little bit, that's probably a little more than what you're asking <laughs> for, but that's a little bit uh, of the story there. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Now, I don't know that I want to be disciplined enough to um, hold money back to, to keep myself going. But I love the fact that, that you do it and that you've built your life around it because it is that, you know, uh, burning the ships behind you mentality. If you can't turn to something else, right. you will go forward. And what, and we talked a little bit before this, just picking up the phone is a whole lot easier once you've done it. But so many people are like, yeah, but I can't go back to that because I'm used to spending this amount of money. I, I'm used to doing what I'm doing. It's scary out there. Yeah, Ryan did it, but you know, I'm not going to be able to find deals to make you know a ton of money. What what is it about? Once you learned, all right, here's how you do a mobile home park, right? You had to learn the skill set first, and and you get you own like what nine and a thousand units, eleven hundred units, something like that. Um, yes. What have you, what, what is it now when you pick up the phone or when you find a deal, what are sort of the mechanics that you learned around the business? Not necessarily, you know, how do you do the math, but what is it now that you can see in a mobile home park because you've done several of them that tell you, yes, this is a deal to go after. I, wonderful question. And I have, what, I, what I'd like to think is a wonderful answer to it because the game changing knowledge that I have now, if you were, if I, cause I get this question all the time, what do you wish you knew now or what do you wish you had known back then that you know now, which is exactly the answer to this question, which is because I lived it because I know what it feels like to be in a mobile home in the middle of the night, in the middle of a thick, dense, powerful thunderstorm. I know what it feels like on 4th of July when kids are shooting fireworks off in the middle of the night. And when little Miss Janice comes into the office complaining, you can say, I know, I also heard the fireworks. It was really annoying, right? I know, what my, <laughs> I know what my customers are thinking and feeling. And I know what it's like to sell a home. 
and I know what it's like to evict someone. And I know what it's like to po post something on Zillow in one state in a one property and have 50 responses in 24 hours and post it somewhere else. And literally the only response from Zillow is like the, the marketing ad from the Zillow team being like, hey, just want to let you know your ad's still up. And that's it and crickets, right? <laughs> because I have done all of that, you know, I've seen decks collapse. I've seen people, well, I haven't seen it, but I've had someone allegedly fall through the floor of a mobile home because I've, I've seen tons of things go wrong and tons of things go right. My underwriting is fundamentally better because of it. And Excel, I can't remember who said this, but it's brilliant. They said, there's been more fiction written in Microsoft Excel than in Microsoft Word. And <laughs> it's true because all Microsoft Excel is, is it's just calculating the math for you. It's, it is deceptive confirmation bias. And the truth of the matter is, you, your output is only as good as your input. You, your pro formas are only as strong as your assumptions. So I am glad I had no money to start out and no experience and no other option because by forcing myself to be my own operator, I have learned some lessons that help me look at things totally differently. And the reason why that is even more relevant is because especially like right now with a hot economy and low interest rates and everyone in the world thinks mobile home parks are like the hot thing to get into and no one really knows how to do it. It's kind of depressing. Um, you're missing deals. There are deals right in front of your face that are screaming hot deals that you would only know are screaming hot deals because you fundamentally know what to look for. And you cannot teach that in a book or in a training course or listen to it on a podcast or hop on a call and learn that from someone. These are things that you just, because I do it every day, all day, I can drive through a mobile home park and go boom, 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 boom. And I see a bunch of things and I know the market and within an hour or less, I already know what I want to offer and if I want to do it. Um, and you only get that by being knee deep in what you're doing. And, and to your point earlier, it doesn't matter if it's mobile home parks or, or what type of business. If you fundamentally understand your business, if you're a student of the game, you are going to see things that others just aren't seeing right in front of your face. Now that that's gold right there because I, 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 when I'm working with my clients and when I'm helping them grow their businesses, one of the big things I focus on is not what is the value of what you do. Like you can go into a mobile home park and you can put shrubbery here and you can fix the blacktop there and you can pretty it up. Like the, those are the mechanics. That's what you do to it. But the value received by either the seller, someone who wants to get out of it, you know that, or the value received more importantly by the mobile home tenant or owner that lives on your property, if you know that, everything else changes. Right. You know, it's the old concept, if you know what keeps your prospect up at night more than they do, then you'll never go hungry a day, right? And, and you've learned that because you lived in the parks that, that, that you own and because you, you spend your time doing this and learning about it and reading about it and are laser focused on mobile home parks, 
<clears throat> but I want to ask you this. You know all this stuff and, and, and you know how to operate a park. But operating a business that has, you know, nine parks and multiple investors who are either partners or lenders to you in, in buying these parks and running that business versus running a park are very different things. How did you, one, when did that transition occur when you knew you had to do that and you had to think like a businessman rather than an investor? And two, how do you do that every day? Like, what does your day look like to do both of those things? Yeah, so that's an important point, right? I'm an investor and a business person, right? So I have passive income coming in. If I step away from my business, it will work without me there because I have systems in place and employees in place that know what they're doing because I've trained them personally. And I, so for example, when my son was born, I stepped away for about a month, month and a half and didn't need me. Now it didn't grow. The business needs me to grow, yep. but the business doesn't need me to survive and thrive. So that's, it's an important distinction, right? I, I'm not just investing in my own deals and achieving passive income. I'm also growing my business and making sure that it works. Now, I, that's another great question that I hate to say I don't have an answer to as to what, when was that moment where I kind of understood the difference? It's, you know, I wish I had taken a better journal of when certain things happen. My business partner, he, he writes down things he learns every day so we can go back and pinpoint the exact moment he learned very valuable lessons. But I think that I kind of always intuitively knew. So I was a psychology major undergrad, wanted to be a salesperson, and I, I was a car salesman. And that taught me negotiation, persuasion, marketing, sell, selling. And I've always had a customer focus, right? And I kind of always knew that the best, I guess intuitively knew that the best investors are, are also the best operators. So I'll give you a great, for example, Steve Reinemann, former CEO of, of Pepsi. I've sat down with him a few times. He's really active at Wake Forest University. And I pitched him mobile home parks just, just to know what a former Fortune 500 CEO would say, not to try to get his investing dollars, just out of sheer curiosity. And I loved his answer. His answer was, in so many words, I don't know. And it was the most gratifying, I don't know, I, I, one of the most gratifying I don't know ever because of the power behind his ability to say, he, he, to be humble enough to say, I don't know, right? And ultimately what I gleaned from that was he's, now that he's retired and a multimillionaire, he invests in things like convenience stores because he, he understands the business, right? If you are the CEO of Pepsi, which is Frito-Lay, uh, he also is the CEO of Pizza Hut. So he, he understands soda, chips, the works, right? He understands distribution. He understands that whole sales funnel from the manufacturing, bottling, to shipping, to, to the wholesalers, to literally the convenience stores that sell it. And because he has extensive knowledge there, He's a better investor for that. Now, obviously, he's much older and he has decades of, of high-level experience and he sits on the board of American Express. So, obviously, he's a rock star and none of us are going to be that way. And for me, I just, I, I, to answer your question, I was, you, know, I, I, you can't realistically have that and build your business. That takes time. But what you can do is learn your business really in some serious detail while you're investing too. And another big reason why I pay myself 35, even though I make way more than that is because I can then 
be an investor in my own business. And so that way, like this property, I'm fingers crossed closing next Thursday. He did something pretty similar. He's selling his mobile home park to me and he is 1031ing a significant, just significant chunk of change. So well, he's 1031ing a million dollars into something, uh, an LP fund that will give him a 10% preferred return. In other words, his million dollars will go in there tax-free and he at almost 65 years old will have a passive hundred grand coming in no matter what he does. And so he's going to be able to retire really comfortably, assuming the investment doesn't go bust. But because he understands real estate and now at his age, now he has the capital, so to speak, he can now invest passively with limited liability into something that's going to give him an upper middle class lifestyle, no matter what he does. And then he's got a ton more money that he's going to invest elsewhere and do other fun things with and still work. But ultimately the point is to be a, a very good investor, you need to understand that business as well. But also you can't wait around for that, especially someone like me. I didn't have any money. So I, I, I really can't be an investor. Like what am I going to go, go invest $5,000 in the stock market? Like, come on. Right. Right. I had to do both at the same time. And hopefully, I, you know, I'm 32 years old now. Hopefully in 20 years when I'm 52, I will know about everything. I mean, I'm never going to know everything, but I'm going to know so much about this industry, even though I, I know so much right now. There's, there's things I don't even know I don't know yet. Yeah. By that time, I will have hopefully a ton of capital in place to invest in what I know really, really intimately well. So for those of you who have started their own business or are about to, my advice is just learn your business so you can invest in your business. And if you can do both at the same time, all the better, because you learn two disciplines at the same time. I love that. I, I, I just love the commitment and the understanding you have about, if you know your thing so well, the rest actually becomes easy. So uh, we're talking to Ryan Naris here on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast with Adam Kittness. As I said, uh, powertexting.com sponsors the show. They give away a free trip to one listener. Go to podcasttrip.com and one person will win a trip. Um, it's super cool. 17 locations around the world, uh, four and five star hotels. Uh, and Ryan, before we wrap up, we've got a few minutes left, but you're, you're talking about, all right, you got a chance to sit down with a former CEO of Pepsi, obviously world, worldwide, multi-billion dollar, probably multi-hundred billion dollar brand. Um, but you started knowing nobody. Like other than a few family friends, you didn't know people with money. You didn't know people of influence. And there's probably a lot of people listening that they're like, this is idiotic. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to meet the CEO of Pepsi. I'm not going to um, have these multimillionaire friends calling me. Um, he's just blowing smoke. But in reality, it's not that hard once you put yourself in the right situations. So how did you start on that path? Because no one says, well, some people do, but you probably didn't say, I want to meet a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You wanted to meet someone who could give you advice. Where, where did that path start that put you in that position? So I actually do have a specific answer to this. Tim Ferriss, right. four-hour work week. Tim Ferriss, four-hour work week. He says point blank in his book, and it is 100% true. People, high-profile celebrities, that you never would think you could get in touch with are a lot easier to get in touch with than you think. It's just that most people don't try. 
And the folks that try a lot of times are nutty fans that don't understand that you don't reach out to someone and, and ask for their mercy or for something. You, you try your best to give them something. And there's a, a significant chunk, chunk of folks that just like to talk and give out advice. And one of my best friends, I literally just emailed him and I still have the email saved somewhere, but he's multimillionaire time and time over. And I just shot him an email and his, one of his, his number two guy is CEO and I were having lunch. Actually, he brings it up all the time now. He's like, dude, I don't know how you got in this guy's inner circle. You had nothing. You're just a <laughs> grad school kid with no money. He's like, I've never seen that in 15 years of, of, of being this guy's right hand man. And then I, I had, you know, for that one of someone like him or one of someone like Steve Reineman, there's 99 other people who, who will never respond to you. And I'll give you another good, for example, we reached out to Sam Zell, billionaire CEO, yeah. <clears throat> and he reached back out to us when this was when we were really first starting out like four years ago and we never called him back because we, we, it was kind of like the dog chasing the mailman, right? We're like, Oh, can we get him? Oh my God, we got him. Oh no. What do we do now? But I mean, I've, I've sat in front of other, other big time folks like Christine Duffy, uh, CEO, Carnival Cruise Lines, you know, um, Rosalind Brewer, Sam's Club CEO. I, I've, I've gotten in front of these folks and you know, what's crazy about it. I, I also have gotten in front of people that are low on the totem pole, like janitors or secretaries and I talk to anybody. I don't care if you'll never buy real estate or you'll never do anything cool in your entire life or you're the CEO of a huge company. I will talk to you and everybody in between you. And some of the best lessons I've learned in my life have actually not been from a Steve Reinemann or a Christine Duffy or Rosalind Brewer. It's been from folks that are on the front lines who are seeing things and feeling things and experiencing things. And you'll just, you have to, to look at the whole gamut because there is lessons to be learned at every step of the way. And you have to reach out to people and expect to get ghosted, but still follow up anyway and expect to be rudely hung up on and told you're nothing and keep going. You have to do that because yeah, it's fair to be like, okay, well, Ryan did this and you know, that was lucky or this was that. I, I am a very lucky guy, but at the same time, I also reached out to hundreds of people who either were very rude to me or just never responded to me. So it is to a certain degree a volume game. You just have to do it. Yeah, when, and when, when Ryan and I first talked, I, and I asked every guest I ever have, I was like, why do you do this? Like, why do you go on podcasts? Obviously exposure is good and um, you know, it's cool to be interviewed and you wanna put it out on social media. But, but his answer was, I just wanna talk to more people because I don't know what I'm gonna learn. And that's, and you just said it right there. It, you don't really care who the people are. You just want to learn more. And this is my final question. And I always ask some, some version of this to all of my guests. It's if you're reaching out to somebody at a high level, it could be a CEO of a large company. It could be um, just someone that you want to know. It could be someone in your industry. You know, part of it is, you know, what, what does the average person, you know, what do I have to offer them that they want to respond to my email? Right. I'm not, you don't have to script an email for us, but a lot of people think that and that's why they don't do it. So what is it that you can do? 
you got to find a way to pump them full of value, right? So if you're just asking someone for something, why, if you're on the street and someone walks up to you and says, Hey, can I have $5? Why are you going to do that? You're not going to do that, right? There's actually a really fascinating study, psychology guy. There's a really fascinating study where they, where they basically took a control group of people in a line to make copies on a copy machine that literally just at the person in front of them said, Hey, could I skip you? And then they took another group and said, Hey, can I skip you? And just for, it just, it just gave a reason. Yeah. It just gave a reason. Like literally they were just said, Hey, can I skip you? I need to make copies. And then I'm pretty sure they also did another group where they said, Hey, I'm in a rush. Can I skip you? And what they found is, is those two groups performed. Some, sometimes people were just like, yeah, sure. You can skip me just because. And the point there is, that sometimes all you need to do is just reach out, just try. Even if your reason is, is, you know, and then add a little reason to it, even if your reason is ridiculous, even if you think it's silly or stupid. But what I've realized is if you take that one step further and you add value there, you know, so for example, Steve Reinemann, what I realized about him is he loves teaching, loves it, loves talking business loves having his mind challenged. And so I've sat down with him twice. And the first time I appealed to his, please teach me. And the second time I reached out to him, I was like, I have a new business idea. Do you have time to sit down with me and go through this? And each time he, he loved it because it was valuable to him. And I mean, this is a dude who literally flies private jets to go and sit on the board <laughs> meeting of, of Amex, right? And, and a ton of other ridiculous stuff, even though he's retired, right? So my advice to you is as you're reaching out to folks, you know, because I get reached out to all the time and I, I, I'm pretty much a yes man. I just love talking to people. But a lot of times people will be like, I really want to meet you face to face. And I, I would love to meet everyone face to face. But a lot of times folks are like, can I buy you coffee or a beer or lunch? That's not like, yeah, that's adding value. But to, to me, it's easier to just hop on the phone because here's a half hour, boom, we're done. Whereas if I had to drive all the way there, sit down, blah, 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 right? That's a bigger commitment. And it's not that I don't do that. It's that if you were to come and bring some value, like, hey, I have experience in self-storage. I'd like to share war stories. All of a sudden, that's something valuable to me. Hey, I have 20 years in the debt industry. I know how we underwrite and how banks, certain smaller to medium sized banks think about certain things, right? That all of a sudden is something valuable that I can learn. Or, hey, I happen to know the guys who do this podcast, right? Or I'm, I can introduce you to this folk, right? If yeah. you reach out to someone beyond just like, hey, can I buy a cup of coffee? And even sometimes it's as simple as, hey, I loved your book. I loved your podcast. I would love to ask you some real specific questions. For example, X, Y, Z, would you be open to teaching someone for a half hour. Even that, someone like me, son of a college professor, I love to teach and I love to learn. So that's appealing to the what's in it for me. So as you're reaching out to CEOs or celebrities or anyone in between, think about what is it that they would go, huh, even if I like teaching and like learning, I'll actually go way out of my way to go have a cup of coffee with you because there's something there I don't have that I can glean from this, however small. And even just adding, asking a reason like, hey, can I skip you? I need to make copies. Even that is better than just saying, hey, can I have your time? Even just giving a reason, even if it's stupid, scientifically has been proven to, to be effective. That's awesome. And a great, great 
point is we, we don't always know what people's reasons are, but you have to give one, right? And, right. and, and people will, will um, usually gladly give you their time or their information or their effort. We just need to ask, Ryan, I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah. It was a lot of fun on just learning more about your process, how you did it, and the things that you've learned at a very young age while getting beaten up a little bit along the way, but you've just continued to learn. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate your knowledge and your time. I was honored and it was a blast. Thank you. Very cool. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast with Adam Kipnis. I look forward to having you all in the next one. Thanks. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.